Well, good morning. How are you guys today? I hope and pray all is well. I just want to thank you for joining us here at Liberty Plains Baptist Church. And as we uh, come together on online once more, uh, you know, we're, we're thankful. We're thankful that we can gather before the Lord. And uh, just, uh, just want to personally thank the Lees once more for putting together the music and uh, putting together the YouTube playlist. It's been really fun to put this together and uh, just have have different parts of the service and uh, you know kind of kind of getting anxious and and ready to <laughs> to gather together and and uh, you know it's 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 been too long right but I'm just glad that we can come together we can pray we can sing to the Lord and we can learn from his word uh, together as well but let's uh, go ahead and open in a word of prayer and uh, we'll start off so Father, I just thank you for today. Thank you for everything that you have given us. Lord, I thank you for the passage of Psalm 10. Thank you for these words in scripture and thank you that you are the Lord who hears us. You are the Lord that is for that forevermore enthroned and that you are the king. And Father, as we look at the question of why, as we look at you know this world that you know even as we see the utter hopelessness of humanity getting itself out of the pit, that we would understand and know that you are the hope to the hopeless, that we are all in this state of disrepair and insufficiency before you, and that we need your grace in Christ Jesus alone. I thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for uh, this time to gather before you, that we can come together and worship you and praise you and lord just uh, bless this time together that we would be pierced through by your word and uh just uh, with an, a foundation of truth that we would go forward to do what you have called us out to do in the name of jesus we pray amen well today we'll be looking at psalm 10 and psalm 10 you know, it really takes time to look at the wicked and uh, the the wickedness of the world and and the the psalmist actually really wonders why you know why why have they been able to do what they do why have they been able to think the way they think and why is the lord standing far away from everything going on you know why is this allowed to go on why you know it is the question of why that drives the author to cry out before god to arise to deal with the brokenness of the world and to deal with the wicked you know this this question this question of why wickedness continues and why the wicked continue is a question that different biblical authors wrestle with and deal with throughout the Bible, and it is a question that we also deal with today. And why is there so much suffering in the world? Why are there dictators? Why are there cult leaders? Why are there false messiahs? You know, why is there, there genocide and mass murder and famine and all the more? So we see that the question of why is here as well. But, you know, 
I feel like sometimes culturally, we don't see the next part of the psalm very much, where the psalmist says, Arise, O Lord. Why is that? Well, because as a, as a culture and as individuals, sometimes we even believe it is because of what we can do, right? It's about humanity rising up, arising and putting an end to genocide, to famine, to plagues, and all the more, when in fact we need to face the fact that humanity is actually the cause of these terrible issues. And therefore we cannot rid ourselves of them because it is in us all. Now we are, as one Christian apologist said it, Auschwitz enabled. Now we as humans are capable of all of the darkest sins recorded in history. Now as a culture, we want to think and perceive that evil is out there. Now even as people you know, we, we think of, of TV interviews of a, of a murderer or of a shooter. And, you know, we, we think, well, everyone's a good person. And then you, you hear in a news interview, well, they, they paid their bill on time. They paid their bills on time. They paid their rent. They were nice and quiet. And yet they did this. You know, they were a good person. You know, underneath that is this lie that we are all good. Now Jesus says this on the subject in Luke 18, 19. Jesus said to him who had said, good teacher, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. God alone is good. You know, we personally and, and culturally may say this though, we are better than them. We are better than, than that. We don't do this or that. We do this. We think about this. We go this way. Well, in our standards, we like to be above people when heading towards where other people are. Well, in the biblical context, it stands out forever that God alone is good. God alone is the righteous judge and he is the judge who justifies. He is perfect and holy and he is above all. And yet he is near and he is here and he hears man. The man himself, the, 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 the wicked, the, the, you know, the, 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 the rationalizing human thinks of himself as you know, oh, well, I'm, I'm better than them or I'm better than that. And yet, at the same time, we perceive brokenness, even in our moral superiority, if we think of it like that. We perceive brokenness. We perceive that there is a standard that has been wronged. Morals are real. The law is set in our hearts. Justice and truth these perceptions don't come from us. They come from outside of us. From a lawgiver, from a Lord, from a creator. Romans 2.15 says, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, 
while their conscience always also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. We understand that there's a conscience. We understand that the, the law of God is written on our hearts. Humanity understands itself as broken. The law shows us our fault. And we are, in fact, unable to do anything about the situation. So one of the great lies is that a well, man can pull themselves out of the pit. You know, so is it still hopeless? It would be, it would be pretty horrible if the, if the message ended there and the, the Bible ended there that with the insufficiency of humanity, right? It'd be a pretty, pretty bad story. You'd probably throw it out the window, right? It'd be a, a horrible end, but it doesn't end there. The truth is, is that we have a sufficient God who is able to be called upon, that we can know personally and lay every part of our life before him. The first part of Psalm 10 really deals with this question of why. And then the author goes on to describe the world in the way of the wicked. And then he comes to claim who God is. Now let us turn in our Bibles to Psalm 10. And we'll just read the first 11 verses of, of Psalm 10. Well, it says this. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked haughtily pursuit, pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. And for all of his foes, as for all of his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is full, filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lures he lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sunk down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. You know, the author cries out, why? Oh Lord, do you stand far away? In life, he has seen these things go on and wondered, 
Where is the Lord? Lord, where are you? Why aren't you in the midst of this, dealing with this right now? Yeah, we have all dealt with struggles and problems and pains that make us wonder, where is God? Lord, don't be far away from me. We cry out to the Most High in our need because we understand Him to be hope and help when we are in need. The author is in a time of trouble and knows whom to personally call out to. Do we know that? Do we know that the Lord is the one we need to call out for? That when we are down and out and when we are on our last leg, we need God. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, uh, we'll read uh, verses 14 through 16. It says this, Since then we have a great high priest who passes passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect as has been tempted as we are, Yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Our Lord is the one whom is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands the brokenness of life and the darkness of the world. So let us approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. It is a simple action, but it is a needed action. Think of it this way. You're, you're thirsty. You need to get a drink. So you get up from where you're sitting and you go to the source, right? You, you get up and you go to your fridge or the sink or, or to a water bottle and you, and you drink, you take time to go to the source. You take action to gain grace and mercy and to find what we need in our time of trouble. That we would do this. You know, next, the psalmist writes upon the world and the way of the wicked. That they live in arrogance, it says. They that the wicked boast of their desires of their soul, that this is, this is what I want, this is what I'm about. You know, and that their very face is one of pride. You know, their very attitude is against the Lord and against the poor. The wicked's actions are haughty pursuit of the poor. And they scheme and they're about gain and greed. You know, it's very much me, 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 mine, mine, mine. That's what they're about. You know, they in fact renounce the Lord, it says, that they are 
in pride and that they are wicked, they do not seek God. They, are, they in fact say this, there is no God. They are foolish in their hearts and in their actions. And yet the psalmist says he prospers, his ways prosper all the time is what the author says. We see that God is a God who gives rain to the just and the unjust, and that's Matthew 5, 45. And yet this goodness from God does not make the wicked stop and think. No, in fact, he actually puffs at it. He actually puffs at the judgments that are on high, you know, today it would be a, a shoulder shrug, shrug of, oh, what, is it, what does it matter to me? You know, the wicked thinks, I will go on and on from generation to generation and I will never meet my end. You know, this is simply not true, right? This philosophy or thinking is utterly defeated by death. Death will come to all men. And then when our children's children and everything is gone, our legacy, our storyline will not be in our hands. Hebrews 9.27 says it like this. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Death comes for all of humanity and then judgment. So the question for everyone, is are we ready to face both death and judgment? And then the other question is, who in fact can make us ready? And the answer to that question is Jesus, the Messiah. That he in fact can help us face both life and death and judgment. You know, and what the wicked say it is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue there is mischief and iniquity. You know, and what, it, what is in his heart comes out of his mouth. You know, Jesus says this on the subject. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15, we'll read uh, verses 18 through 20. Jesus says this, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And what is in the heart comes out of the mouth and it turns into action. It turns into thoughts. You know, we see the wicked's action here. He lurks in ambush. He sits in ambush. Therefore, the helpless are crushed. The wicked murder the innocent. They watch for the helpless. They look, lurk like a lion in the thicket waiting for his prey ready to seize the poor and draw them into the trap. The helpless then are taken. They sink down and fall by the might of the wicked. The wicked in his heart say, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. 
For the wicked, God is, is not near, and he's definitely not, not here, you know, interacting with his creation and lovingly, you know, being about humanity's salvation. They don't, they don't see that. You know, the wicked actually think this, might makes right, which is crazy, right? This is actually the worldview of survival of the fittest, that it is my way or the highway, that, you know, them, they who have power are in a position to oppress the poor and to do what they deem to be done. The wicked think if if God is is real, then he is far away. They they laugh at his law and judgment. You know, many people, even people today, they might believe in a God, but they in fact don't live in that truth. They are, you know, what has been called de facto atheists, which is the truth that yes, God might exist, but he has no significant change or impression upon their lives in the here and now. The world and the way of the wicked is very much about the person. The me, the I, is the center to that worldview. This is about them. No one or nothing gets in their way, and in fact, if, it, if they do, then ambush and harm and death will become uh, will come to those that are in the way of the wicked. Now, the world is is full of wickedness, and all of human history is is full of wickedness. Because from Genesis chapter three, we see that man is indeed fallen and sinful, and is in fact born under wrath. History speaks of mankind enslaving one another killing one another, destroying each other's cultures, cities, and entire civilizations. But thankfully, the Bible gives us an answer to our own wickedness, our own sinful nature, and our own fallenness. Uh, please turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll just read uh, verses 1 through 5 of Ephesians chapter 2. And it states this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, but like the, rest of hum like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved." You know, apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. And this is where we were. We were wicked. We were apart from Christ. We were in the very course of the world. 
By this, everyone was under the wrath of God. But God. You know, the greatest words, two words in the Bible, right? But God came rich in his mercy with his great love that he loved the whole world by Christ. God arising to fix the issue. As children with a broken toy, we understand that dad can hopefully pop that foot back in or, or fix what has been broken. You know, we need to run to our father. We need to understand that we need to cry out to him. And we, of course, need to understand that the world is a little bit more complicated than a children's toy. But it is very dear to our father's heart. He so loved the world. So we go to him. We cry out to him. And that's where the next part of Psalm 10 goes to. And we'll read verses 12 through 15 now. And really a call for God to arise, to act because of the way of the wicked, because of the way of the world that we see in the first part of the psalm. The author says this, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God as and say in his heart, You will not call to account, but do you see for you know, but you do see, you note mischief and vexation, you, that you may take it into your hands. You too, to you, the helpless commit himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The psalmist cries out to God, to the Lord, to the everlasting one. Arise, come forward, deal with this. Oh God, lift up your hand, take action and come deal with this issue I see before me. Do not forget the afflicted. Do not leave the world like this. Fix what is broken. Help those that are hurting. The psalmist cries out to God because he knows God alone is the one who is the Lord, right? We have seen that even in that name, we understand that he is the self-existent one. He is the sovereign one. So we know to come to him along with the author, along with this text, and cry out to the God who remains forever because he is in total control. And what we have just seen, he is in fact good and just. So in dealing with brokenness, in dealing with evil, and in dealing with affliction, the author sees, and what we see, it drives us to the one whom can and whom will deal with it. We hear this in verse 13, the question of why appears again. Why does the wicked renounce God? We may put it like this. Why does the world care about everything else rather than God? The author says that they state this. You will not call into account, 
The psalmist says that, you know, this, that the wicked are, are in fact mocking the judgment of God himself. You know, and, and the Bible actually says that this will come and that this happens. Uh, please turn with me to Second Peter, Second uh, Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, I will read verses 3 through 7. Uh, Peter states this, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from, begin from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of this the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up by fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter says, scoffers will come and they will say, where is the one you say will come? They will say, everything here remains the same. There's no change. And they overlooked the evidence before them the evidence of, of creation, of general revelation, the evidence that was told from his word. They overlook spe special revelation, the Bible, and destruction will come upon the ungodly. So the answer, the answer to the author's cry of, of why, and even our own cry of, of why, is found actually a few verses down in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. The Lord is not slow on his own promises, but in fact he is patient. He will arise and deal with the issues, but he's not wishing that any would perish but they would reach repentance. Our Father longs for all of humanity to come to Him, that the wicked would repent and come home, that the religious would have relationship with Him, that the dead would have their resurrection, that the sinner would come home and that that home would be filled with joy, that he or she has returned home. The psalmist turns to what God sees, that in fact God sees all, that God takes note of all the mischief and the vexation of the world. He knows humanity, every one of us personally, even better than when, than better than what we know of ourselves. Hebrews 4:13 says this, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Nothing is hidden from him, no thought or deed. God knows us, and God can take it all into his hands. So the helpless, those in harm's way, commit 
themselves to him, to the Lord. And we can always do this because God is the help for the fatherless. The psalmist relies upon the character of God, the person of God and the promises of God of who he is and who he will forever be. You know, his attributes are unchanging and infinite and he is able. You know, the author asks God to matter-of-factly break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call them into account, Lord. Call them into account of what they have done and stop them. Strong words, right? The author is pretty much, in fact, telling God to disable them. Disable them from their wicked actions and call them before them until you find no evil whatsoever. Please, Lord, stop them. You know, Psalm 10 ends with these words through verses 16 through 18, stating who the Lord is, asking the Lord to hear and to seek the justice for the oppressed. The author says this, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice and to the fatherless, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. You know, will we ever be done? You know, that question is for the daily worker from the school child. Are we are we done yet? Are we done yet? Right? Is the weekend here yet? Is the issue done with? Is racism gone with? Is that evil over there apprehended? Have they dealt with it? We wait and we hold our breath when a loved one goes into surgery or when a loved one is, is waiting for test results or even if, if we are. We long for justice when we are wronged. We want and we search for peace in a peaceless world. When we come to brokenness and wickedness and justice and theology, we don't just come with good old theory, with, you know, this, this is how it may come to pass, question mark. No, we come with the promises of God. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen for by it the people of old received their condemnation their condemnation by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of god so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible you know, we are not people of blind faith we are People who have faith, who have assurance for things hoped for in conviction because of the person and the promises of God. We 
believe God and it is accredited to us. We have faith. We have faith in, in many things and in a person, whether that's our spouse or the government or our family. We have faith in an object, whether it's our, our office chair, our car, or our food, that it is worthy of trust. You know, from others driving down the other side of the road, from God and his word, we trust or we don't trust what is real, what is worthy and reliable. So when it comes to justice and dealing with evil, do we trust the Lord to do it? Do we, like the psalmist, understand that the Lord is king forever and ever? You know, in the book of Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of a statue with many different levels of material, each representing a different kind of kingdom of what would come. And in verse 44 of chapter 2, it states this, Daniel says this, of a stone that strikes the statue. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it's, it shall stand forever. This tells us that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And one day all the other kings, kingdoms will come to an end. And this kingdom set up by God will stand forever. Because God's Messiah will in fact rule forever. Please turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, we'll just read verses 13 and 14. Daniel says this, I, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given the dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his domain is an everlasting domain, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Now Daniel sees one like a son of man. You know, one of Jesus' actual favorite titles. Approach the very throne of God. And he is presented before him because God alone can be presented before God blameless. And he has given everything, all dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Every people, nation, language should come to him and serve him. And just like the stone in chapter 2 of Daniel, his kingdom will last forever as well. It will not be destroyed. On the other hand, the actions, the deeds... The world, the way of the wicked, all these kingdoms and nations that stand against God, all these people will come to an end. It states in Psalm 10, the nations perish from his land at the end of verse 16. Those against God and about their own will and way will find themselves apart from life and the Lord. 
The psalmist calls out to the Lord to hear the desires of the afflicted, to hear the cry of the oppressed, to those down and out, to those that are outcast, that the Lord would strengthen them and hear them. This is the truth that the psalmist points to found in Luke 14, 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbled, humbles himself will be exalted. If we think too highly of ourselves, we will be humbled. But if we know our place, if we serve in our place and we're humble before God, we will be exalted. The author knows God is the one who hears the cries and who in fact will plead the case of the oppressed. The psalm ends with words of hope, with words of action that the Lord will hear, that the Lord in fact will strengthen and stop what is going on. Verse 18 says to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth will may strike terror no more. Now, I took a class in college back in the day. Uh, it was about different world issues, about different camps of thought and different worldviews, even though they didn't use that word back then. And it became apparent that you had a huge group of people that had an issue with the fact that there, there was even thought from the textbook that there's parts of humanity that, that thought that the world was broken beyond repair. That in fact, that we couldn't deal with it. The class and even yes, believers that I knew at the time thought, no way, I can't believe it's not, it's, it's hopeless. I have to believe that I can do something. But it, it rings out of Psalm 10, who is of the earth? You know, who is of the earth can't fix this, but we are not a part of this. You know, aren't, are, are we a part of the earth or are we a part of the kingdom of heaven? You know, if we are a part of the earth then we're a part of the problem, right? We're part of the wicked. We're, we're, how do we fix it then if we're part of the earth through social justice, through a program, for good old education, for morals? You know, how about truth, justice, and the pursuit of happiness? You know, our, our programs and our pamphlets fall short. Our dreams are dashed to pieces of the earth because all have sinned and fallen short, right? So is it hopeless? No. You know what that textbook left out what our programs and our pamphlets leave out is the Lord, the self-existent one, the sovereign one, the one who hears our cries, the one who holds the world, the one who created the world, the one who upholds all of creation and interacts with his creation and cares for us. He tells us, he tells us the church you are not of this world, just as Jesus wasn't. So we need to be sanctified in his truth, which is the word of God. And we need to be transformed 
by it. And we need to seek <coughs> what is good and acceptable and perfect in the will of God. God doesn't leave this world hopelessly lost. He has shown creation himself. He has breathed out his very word. And we are moved by it. We are transformed for his glory to be about his heartbeat. Uh, please turn with me to Micah chapter 6. Um, one of my most favorite passages of scripture. And Micah chapter 6 states this. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. He has told us what is good, what is required of us, that we should be about these things to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. This is what we're to be about. No matter where we can go in life, no matter where life takes us, we can be about this. We can be about being humble before our God. We can love kindness. We can be kind towards others. And we can do justice. We can love one another. This is what God wants us to do. This is what the Lord asks us to do with our whole, to love him and to love others as ourselves, to seek everyone's welfare. I just want to thank you for joining us here today. And uh, just uh, I hope and pray you have a, a great Sunday and a great week ahead. And let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are a God who does not leave us in a hopeless world. But you, in fact, lovingly answer our cries. And show us to be about your work. To live a life towards you as living sacrifices, being transformed by your word as the church, that we would go forward to do this, to be about hearing the oppressed, to be about your heartbeat, O oh God, and to, yes, see the brokenness and to see the way in the world of the wicked, but to also act, to also go forward and to be the ambassadors of the kingdom of God asking men to be reconciled to you by Christ alone and that we would in that be the righteousness of God that you call us out to be and to love on all of humanity. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.